Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBA's At The Bar, a podcast where young and youngish lawyers discuss legal news, topics, stories, events, and whatever else we want to talk about. I'm your host, John Amarillo of Tastinius and Hollister, and co-hosting the pod with me today is Chastity Burns. Chastity will, I think, be our new permanent co-host, so Chastity, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience a bit? Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here. I am currently an assistant public defender in the felony trial division of the Cook County Public Defender's Office, and I'm also the president of the Black Women Lawyers Association of Greater Chicago. Welcome, Chastity. Thank you. So we have two guests today. First is Judge Claire McWilliams. Judge McWilliams was elected to the Circuit Court of Cook County, Chicago in November 2004 and is now assigned to the Law Division Jury Section, where she currently presides over personal injury jury tort trials, including medical malpractice, construction, and complex toxic tort litigation. Since 2013, she's also been the supervising judge of the Cook County Asbestos Docket. We're also joined by Jane Reardon, who's the Executive Director of the Illinois Supreme Court Commission on Professionalism. She has served as Executive Staff for the Commission since its inception in 2006. Her prior experience includes counsel to the Review Board of the Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission, ARDC, and trial lawyer for the former Chicago law firm Wildman, Harold, Allen, and Dixon. Who are they now? Locklord, that's right. And I can't keep track of all the mergers. It's been a couple iterations. Yeah. And the New York law firm, Kelly, Dry, and Warren. Judge, Jane, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks so much, John. I'm happy to be here as well. So as our audience could probably tell by Jane's position, we're here to talk about civility in the legal profession today. Uh, I think everybody knows pretty much what a judge does, so we don't need to warm up with that. But Jane, why don't you tell us about the Supreme Court Commission on Professionalism and what it does? Sure. The Illinois Supreme Court established the Commission on Professionalism to address the incivility, primarily in litigation. Uh, uh, Justice Thomas was the um, mover behind the establishment, and he said he wanted lawyers to understand there's a difference between being assertive and being aggressive and dog-eat-dog in litigation to get rid of that win-at-all-cost mentality and get back to solving problems for the people of the state of Illinois. So in 2006, Uh, The court established the Commission on Professionalism, and I had just come off working for the ARDC and um, working in discipline cases for lawyers. So I really look forward to working proactively on the um, uh, supporting the profession aspects of the Commission on Professionalism. Civility is only one of the mandates that we have. But that's the one we're talking about today. That's why we're here today. So when we talk about civility, what are we talking about? We're not just talking about saying hello and being pleasant in the courtroom, right? No, it's it's much more than that. But if we're talking about lawyer civility, um, it is uh, being polite and having manners and being respectful is um, part and parcel of what we're talking about with civility. The, the, the problem is when lawyers think of themselves as advocating for their client to the um, exclusion of all other aspects. We also have an obligation as lawyers to 
act as officers of the legal system. It used to be officers of the court, right? And make sure that wait, used to be. I still use that phrase. Is yeah, that not well, the phrase anymore. No, that's not it. Why? You're, you're, What's the it's phrase? been changed to the officer of the legal system. You've got to check your preamble to the model rules of professional conduct. It's been about a week since I read it. So. Yeah, that one yeah. too. Yeah, no, in 2010 they did change that, but most people don't know that. But okay. I get into the nitty gritty of the preamble. That's kind of Glad what. what on top yeah, of it. somebody's got to do it. Okay. It's important. But anyway. Lawyers do need to um, make sure, for example, you're well aware that um, that there's no perjury or falsification of evidence and, and, and that, that our judicial system is based on integrity and what have you. And in addition, lawyers have an obligation to work for reform and to um, educate the public about issues like rule of law, et cetera. So when we talk about civility, um, I like to think of lawyers wearing three hats, their obligations to their client, their obligations to the court or the legal system, and their obligations to the public. And as you probably know, lawyers kind of uh, take a hit in the eyes of the public because um, we have let uh, TV shows, I guess now it's not necessarily TV, but internet shows define what is good lawyering. It's not Boston Legal or in the old days, L.A. Law or Shark. I think Boston Legal is the old days now, too. Yeah, they're all old days, aren't yeah. they? But um, but the reality is they're, we're, we're working for something that's a higher calling as part of the legal profession. And uh, when we get down and dirty and... Um, play too uh, fast and loose with the ethical rules in order to win for our clients in this matter. I think we lose sight of the fact that the judges all remember who's right. who. The lawyers are all interacting with um, other uh, members of the profession, and it may actually harm the next client or your credibility with that judge or with opposing counsel down the road. Judge, that just made you think of something. I saw you write something down. <laughs> what was it? Well, I think there's a fine line between uh, professionalism, civility, and ethics. And I think you cross over on all three at one particular level. And uh, it's interesting what Jane just said earlier about um, officers of the court. I still use that. I rely on lawyers as officers of the court to present to me honestly, ethically, and um, professionally, not necessarily mm -hmm. in that order. Um, but sorry, I missed it, Jane. <laughs> 2010. So let's just jump right into the kind of the elephant in the room with this issue. We live in a incivil country right now. The political environment is more toxic than it's ever been during my lifetime um, in any event. And I think probably more toxic than it's been at least in a century. Have you seen this spill into the practice of law or judge in the courtroom at all? Uh, sure. You know, I want to say, first off, by and large, I think lawyers are extremely professional. And uh, I do think because of TV shows, social media, all types of media now, lawyers continue to get a bad rap. Uh, but lawyers should know and appreciate how hard that they've worked to get where they have been and where they are, um, particularly with um, what type of law they practice and if they're in a courtroom and the clients that they represent. But we do see um, lack of professionalism in the court system. And as you know, I've prepared a top 10 list, which I'm happy which to go we'll, through we'll, any time. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> but um, it is unfortunate out there that lawyers do get the rap they do. But I love the profession. I think 
for the most part, lawyers are acting and behaving the way that they should be. And that's the optimistic viewpoint. Um, you know, politics aside, uh, I'm still getting a good feel uh, in the courtroom for, as I said, the ethics and the professionalism. That's encouraging to hear. It is. Yeah. Jane? Mm -hmm. I, I would agree. The vast majority of lawyers um, respect the license and the responsibility to represent others um, in the courts of law. That said, however, there are um, a, a significant minority of lawyers who will press for any advantage they can in order to, um, to win. Mm -hmm. um, right. And you asked about the political discourse. Um, you know, that that's that's a whole separate, um, you know, elephant in the room. But there's no doubt that the um, conversation in social media and in other media outlets has gotten um, acerbic, sarcastic and personal. Mm. And lawyers as lawyers, we're trained to to not make personal arguments, but to attack the position with applicable case law and reasoned opinions and whatnot. What's disturbing to me um, from where I sit is, is a couple of things. I see increasingly um, people willing to call or label somebody who disagrees with them in a very personally pejorative way, liars, cheaters, bigots, whatever. They're quicker to question motives. Yeah, and ascribe motives yeah. if they disagree with the position right. or the opinion. Right. That seems very, very toxic and very different over the last few years than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. And where the um, overflow is, if you will, into the legal arena is my colleagues who work at the ARDC have told me that um, more than one time when they brought an attorney in for um, or followed up on a complaint uh, for using language that's borderline skirting close to the ethical rules, the respondent has said, our president has done that, so why isn't it okay for me? Wow. Yikes. Yeah, that's not a place I think we want to be as a legal profession, as a society. Right. That's true. And I see that um, oftentimes not only in the courtroom, but when there's attachments via email or hearing about it or seeing it in motion practice, lawyers come into the courtroom all the time accusing each other of something that was said perhaps in a telephone conversation or again through electronic means. Uh, and that can be very hurtful. And it comes up in the court system when it shouldn't necessarily, because it shouldn't be happening back at the office or outside in depositions or outside in corporate meetings where lawyers are meeting and uh, sitting down trying to uh, settle cases on behalf of their clients. And speaking of um, attorneys and maybe even clients uh, in the political climate that we have right now, have you noticed any different behaviors in the courtrooms uh, in regards to the Me Too movement and how female uh, attorneys are being treated or how they might be acting in court? Well, that's a good question. And um, something recent happened that I think bears some repeating here. And it touched on my opinion having to do with the Me Too movement. Um, a colleague of mine, uh, a fellow judge, told me that she walked into a meeting uh, with lawyers and she received the once over. We all know what the once over <laughs> is. Oh, By, yeah. And this is someone that Dresses very professionally. There was nothing provocative, not that that would ever be a reason for that behavior, caveat there. But 
that happens. And I've seen it when I'm sitting up on the bench and we'll have some female attorneys coming into the courtroom and there's a handful of male attorneys sitting either at a council table or um, back in the gallery there. And it's just so inappropriate to be looking at how a female dresses, giving them the once over, the up and down. You all know what I'm talking about. So uh, my concern is that Men, and I don't want to be sexist here, I suppose it could apply in other areas, but they keep their eyes focused on the eyes. So eye contact all the way around. Um, if I could um, share something else that's a little bit different, not necessarily in the courtroom, but the Commission on Professionalism did a survey on professionalism. They did one in 2007 and again in 14, And the results showed that the... Uh, Incivility was directed primarily to um, women, people of color, and right. young people. And that was the, the one category of incivility, which is strategic incivility. Incivility from lawyers? Yeah, lawyer lawyers. to lawyer. The, okay. the lawyer to lawyer incivility was, we actually categorized the incidents. Um, some, one area was, um, basically bias and discrimination. One was just general rudeness, like interruption, taking up a lot of space at the um, bench in order to intimidate opposing counsel. But man the, spreading at counsel table. Man spreading, yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Um, that can just go kind on of standing and sitting, apparently. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but the last category was most interesting because it occurred mostly outside the viewpoint of the judge, um, and it was designed to get, specifically change up the rules, skirt the rules in order to gain an upper hand. So I thought that was quite interesting because it does impact young women and diverse lawyers uh, more than others. What kind of behavior were you saying there? Are we talking about bullying, trying to coerce. Yeah, you know, oh, little lady, do you want to come here? Just a, something. Pa patronizing. Yeah, it could be okay. patronizing. It could be inter um, interrupting. Mm -hmm. um, it could be sarcasm is a big one, dripping with sarcasm. Uh, that kind of thing that's really hard if you're in a conference room to call someone out, right? Be you have to make those, as a female, those split-second decisions, or as a young person, a person of color, do I call them out? Do I ignore? I usually ignored. That was what I did when I was practicing law. You're nodding. I am nodding. I do work in a courtroom every day, and a lot of what I see is very subtle from male attorneys. For example, I'll have a huge stack of files. Being a public defender, we have so many cases, so I'll come down to court with 10 to 15 files, and there will be private attorneys, male ones, um, in the courtroom, and they will start chatting me up in a way that they don't do to my male coworkers, seeing that I'm obviously trying to talk to my clients and trying to get work done. But it's that that interruption and perhaps the assumption that maybe I don't have as much work to do as some of my male counterparts. Those subtle things are really interesting to see in the courtroom, and I've seen a lot of it lately. So how do you handle that? Uh, you have to be assertive, <laughs> which uh, women sometimes get in trouble for in a way that men don't. But you have to say, um, excuse me, I still try to be polite so that there's no scene being made. But I have a lot to do right now, a lot of clients to talk to. So I'm just going to go over here. And the main takeaway, too, I think, is that females know it's happening. It's mm -hmm. not, no one's getting away with this. And there are many different types, I think. Sometimes it's unintentional. Um, other times it's meant to be intentional, disarming. Okay. And um, really 
trying to get you off your game, particularly if it's a type of argument. I have seen male attorneys look at their female counterparts and ask them to please go make a copy of something for them. You know, things wow. like that happen. That's it's, a huge pet peeve. Yeah, it still Wait, happens. that's happened to you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I Wow, okay. I mean, as a white male, I can obviously identify. Sarcasm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I have to, that shocks me. It really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. So, and that hasn't changed. So when I was practicing in the '80s, you know, you figured people call you a lady lawyer. They would assume you were the court reporter. I thought those kinds of behaviors should have been left in the rearview mirror a long time ago. They're still going on. So, I'm okay, actually speechless. John I'm never speechless. speechless. <laughs> no, I think a part of it for me might also be age because I, I think I do look a lot younger than I actually am. And so I think part of it might be age. And sometimes when I have a trial set, I'll actually wear my hair in a bun and put my reading glasses on just to look a little bit older so that that doesn't happen. Oh, enjoy those jurors. days. <laughs> Something that I don't think men consider before going to trial. Are you ever mistaken for the paralegal in the room <laughs> or, you know, not the attorney, not the first chair? There yes. you go. Yes, I mm-hmm. am. Mm-hmm. Can you be, I don't want to say confrontational in response, but I've had difficult opposing counsel before, um, you know, where we're in settlement talks or something like that. And I just look across the table and I say, what are you doing? This isn't productive, your attitude. Let's be reasonable. If you need to take a break, that's fine. Usually they'll have an angry reaction and then calm down after a minute because they know I'm calling them out for acting unprofessionally. Uh, is that something that you've seen that, well, I should let me phrase it this way. Is that something that would be as effective for um, women? I think it's effective for anyone, um, it, um, whether they're as receptive to a woman as, as a man is right. another question. Right, I guess that's question. what I'm getting at. But I do think it is. It, it shows um, maturity that you're, you, know, you realize the environment is really not productive to resolving the matter or whatever the discussion is. And to, I think taking a break or considering, hey, why don't we all get a cup of coffee, take a walk, resume. Um, I have made up a conflict. Geez, you know, I'm running out of time. I think we are at a breaking point here. Let's agree to reconvene next week or sure. whatever. Right. And it could be just that someone's having a bad day. Um, and then there's other situations where you know somebody's particularly pugnacious or quarrelsome, and you know that about their personality. So know that going in and take the appropriate measures to perhaps break more often or right. do what it is that you have to do to um, you know, represent your client in the best way that you can. Right. Or maybe poke the bear right before you go in front of the judge, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That but, would be that's one of those good intimidation point. tactics. You've <laughs> got to know who you're dealing with and what the course of dealing has been up until then. So there's not one rule that would apply in all circumstances. It really depends. Sure. I think that's probably a good place for us to take a break. We'll be right back. This episode of At The Bar brought to you by One Legal, America's top-rated court filing solution. One Legal's simple workflows and local support make it easy to file in large and complex courts like Cook, Marion, and L.A. counties. Chicago Bar members get up to 15% off. Learn more at onelegal.com backslash CBA.
And we're back. So, Chastity, we were having a great discussion, unfortunately, off the air um, a minute ago. And you said something that I thought was really interesting, which was you have to strike a balance as a practitioner between being professional in the courtroom and being civil and being an officer of the court or officer of the legal system now, I suppose, and being seen as being a zealous advocate for your client, which is especially difficult for clients who don't have a legal background and I expect want a show to a certain degree to show that you care about them. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? What do you mean? Sure. Yeah. And I think this is an issue that um, all criminal defense attorneys experience with their clients where unfortunately our clients are out there watching Law and & Order and Boston Legal and they see these big flashy lawyers yelling and screaming in the courtroom, not acting very civil, but that's what they come to expect. And public defenders find it to be a particularly difficult expectation because we're actually assigned to the same courtroom every single day. So we could go out and we could be super aggressive and yell and scream, but then we have to come back and see the same judge and the same prosecutor tomorrow. And so it's tough to strike a balance and explain to clients, well, in the long run, it's better for you and the rest of my clients that we don't act that way in court and that we try to express our points and make our arguments in as civil a way as possible. So that's something that um, that I struggle with in the courtroom as well as many of my coworkers. Judge, we see that in the civil arena as well, right? Not just criminal. Sure we do. There's grandstanding and there's posturing that goes on by attorneys all the time. And I think that there's a distinction that needs to be made with a jury trial versus a bench trial or motions where, you know, members of the public are not necessarily present sitting as jurors. Uh, jurors pick up on everything. They know, they see unprofessional conduct. Um, they hone in on it. We talk to jurors after jury trials. I believe there's such a thing as a jury tax Meaning, if there's a particular lawyer that they don't like and that lawyer is going to win or lose, they're going to win or lose harder, <laughs> one direction or the other. Um, but I also think, um, perhaps, Chastity, in your situation, you know the judge, you're familiar with the judge, they kind of know. Um, and lawyers that are put in precarious situations where they have to grandstand in front of their clients, walk right up and say, good morning, Your Honor. I want you to know that my client is sitting right here in the courtroom <laughs> with me. Right. And that way you can get a heads up. And uh, I think we kind of get it. You know, you do have an obligation to represent your client to the best of your ability. And if that's orating a little bit more tenaciously than you would be otherwise, that's okay. And sometimes there are little tricks to do that and kind of let the judge know if you say, for the record, judge. And then say whatever your client wanted you to say. Absolutely. <laughs> Jane, is, do you see lawyers getting into trouble uh, trying to grandstand for their clients? Um, actually, when I was working for the ARDC, there were very few um, cases that were um, prosecuted as um, ethical violations. You know, you have to you have to violate the rules of professional conduct in order to get disciplined. But lately, in the last five years or so, there have been some cases where lawyers have, have called their um, clients or opposing counsel exceedingly, frankly, vile and disgusting names. Those attorneys have gotten prosecuted. Now, oftentimes they also violate the ethical rules, so it's not, it's not the incivility or the... Um, unprofessional behavior alone. It's also unethical behavior, but it appears that the ARDC is taking a, a harder look at the um, unprofessional behavior and the in strategic incivility that might be going on. Um, Jane, just to, as a follow-up to that, is that going on in the courtrooms or? No, not in the right. courtrooms. Yes, not in the courtrooms. Generally, it's letters 
um, or in ancillary proceedings like depositions. So that's one thing I wanted to, I was hoping to touch on, I should say, which is from my experience, it seems like lawyers have a tendency to be less civil in emails for some reason. When they meet face-to-face, when they're talking on the phone, they are much more reasonable. But when we're dealing with written communications, there seems to be more posturing, more questioning of motives, more accusations. Why do you think that is? Is that just you can't pick up the tone of someone's voice? There's no visual cues? Well, actually, the way the brain science works with incivility and pejorative comments is, I think it's the amygdala, so you get an emotional response right away. So when I said letters, it's actually was emails. So emails in particular, because of the rapidity of the turnaround, Mm -hmm. there's little time for reflection, so you don't go to that slower brain. It's a fast brain response. And so that's why emails tend to be really just a treasure trove of of, of embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I, back when I started, you know, you you had a couple of days after you dictated a letter, and you could come and change it and tone down the response. But now people are just immediately responding in emails, and I think because of that. It's it's just escalating the bad right. behavior. Right. It's interesting because when I got on the bench 14 years ago, email was still kind of a new or novel way of communicating with clients and with opposing counsel. And there was always a dear Mr. Smith or a very truly ears in an email. <laughs> and I laugh now because it's just this chain of consciousness and, you know, going back and forth so quickly. I think we lose that. And it's also like the guy out there that's stealing your identity, you know, <laughs> they're out in the background background in cyberspace, not having anyone to answer to face to face. Right. But when you're face to face with someone, um, it's a different ballgame, you know. Right. Um, and I think that that's part of the problem today in this environment with lawyers that come before the bench that are meeting each other for the first time. They're looking at each other, hi, hi, and they're having a little conversation because back in the old days, you had to pick up the telephone right. and introduce yourself as opposing counsel and how are we going to move this case forward? And what can we do? Those types of things. So, And the expectations of practice, uh, it occurs to me now just talking about it, probably make it harder to be civil because we're expected to respond, if not within the hour, to that email very quickly. So in the past, perhaps, practicing attorney could follow President Lincoln's rules. If something angers you, write a letter, stick it in the drawer, see if you feel the same way a couple of days later. But now we can't do that. Now we could actually get into ethical trouble for being unresponsive. That wouldn't be considered, um, yeah, would not be considered responsive to our clients. So, yeah, yeah that's the conundrum. So, but if you use that as a defense, I think that would be really good. Okay, I'll keep Abe that Lincoln. one in mind. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he sort of knew what he was doing. Um, so talking about things not to do or say, Judge, you're on the front lines every day. Uh, you see lawyer misbehavior. What are some of your biggest pet peeves, biggest no-nos that you see on a daily basis? All right, good of you to ask. And I took the <laughs> opportunity before today to ask some of my colleagues, a lot of them, and um, we've honed in on the top 10 list isn't exactly uh, in I can tell you one, two, and three are probably all tied, but interrupting um, either the court or opposing counsel in front of the bench. So not only is that unprofessional, uh, it really hurts you as counsel. The most effective lawyers are the ones that are stoic, with a poker face, 
and uh, they do not respond in kind to arguments that are being made on the other side until, in fact, it's their opportunity uh, to speak. Um, so having a discussion with opposing counsel, like, I can't believe they just told you that, Judge. I turned over that discovery last week. Didn't you get it? Well, I got it, but didn't you email me yesterday? And mm -hmm. on and on, mm -hmm. particularly when you have a very crowded courtroom uh, and you're trying to move a call. Uh, so those are key problems. And I've seen lawyers start to question each other when they're in front of the bench, right? Oh, sure. It happens all the time. And, and judges never seem to like that. Judges don't <laughs> want, they. I don't think they ask for any conversation between lawyers in front of the bench. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not really the purpose. If you have something to discuss, do it out in the hallway or clarify that before you approach the bench, because then you're wasting the court's time and really each other's time. What's another one? Uh, misquoting cases and disregarding court orders. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big one for sports analogies, but let's imagine that uh, Rizzo hits a you know line drive somewhere and he gets called out at first base. The umpire says out. You know, right. can you imagine if he's standing at the base and says, "Wait a minute, I want a second try," or "I'm not leaving the base," or "You're wrong." So, court orders, um, particularly in discovery, are not really adhered to as much as they as much as they can be and they should be. And that's unfortunate. I think it's very frustrating for the court to set deadlines and then routinely have lawyers come before the court without any explanation and just say, I need additional time. Um, it's after very, the fact. Always after the fact. Really? I mean, if you come in beforehand, that's the appropriate and professional right. thing to do. Just You're asking agreement. for leave of court to, you know, have an extension of time. But, um, you know, it's basically looking at the court saying, your orders have no teeth. Mm -hmm. um, this is meaningless because I've already violated it by several weeks' time, and um, there you go. I'm always amazed when uh, I see other lawyers misquote cases or you know improperly cite them because it gives you such an opening without adjectives, without commentary, to completely undercut their credibility. And yet you see it with incredible frequency. I, I, I wonder if it's um, not so much intentional as it is just a result of sloppy research, only reading the head notes and things like that. I think that's part of it. Also, lawyers become very routine, particularly with, say, motions and limine, for example. Mm -hmm. They're quoting cases um, that they're misapplying the law or, you know, again, they're just misquoting and nothing really can be more embarrassing than having your opposing counsel say to the court, this case says exactly the opposite Ugh. than what counsel has presented. Right. That is the worst. <laughs> yes. <laughs> left the word not out of that sentence. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, just like our president left some wording out of a Russia conversation not too long ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's embarrassing for you if you're a practicing lawyer. Um, so misquoting cases, whether it's orally to the court or in written uh, briefs or memorandum. You've got another one here, which is uh, one I particularly love, not lo love to use, but I've got a story behind it. And it's using the phrase, with all due respect. Mm -hmm. How often do you hear that? A lot. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'd say at least on a weekly basis. And, you know, I like to think as lawyers of, you know, at least trial lawyers and litigators in the courtroom as wordsmiths, we should be using our words carefully and cautiously. Uh, we could be, we should be circumspect about what we say. And with all due respect means you have no idea, judge what you're talking about. And let me correct you right now. I actually saw a federal circuit court judge at a Seventh Circuit argument a few years ago, interrupt counsel 
after he had used that same phrase. Um, and he stopped him right in the middle of argument. He said, do you know what we hear? Do you know what judges hear when we hear that phrase? And counsel said, I, I don't know, judge. I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything by it. And the judge said, it means you don't know what the F you're talking about. Let me correct you. And to hear that of a federal circuit court judge's mouth, uh, well, it left the the uh, appellant's attorney pretty speechless, but right. it certainly seared the point into my mind. For yes, the rest and of my I life. agree with whoever that judge was. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the grumpier ones, so I'm guessing you, you could probably figure it out. <laughs> uh, so you've got another one here. Don't do anything in front of a jury that the jurors themselves are not permitted to do. What are we talking about there? Yeah, that's just bad practice, really. What I'm talking about there is bringing your caramel macchiato, if that's such a thing. I that don't really know. That happens to be my drink. <laughs> That happens to be my kids' favorite drinks. That's all I know. But, you know, you're bringing that into a courtroom. Um, You're looking at your iPhones. You're looking at your iPads, um, doing things that jurors are not permitted to do. I mean, sometimes, depending on the court, they may not even be able to have a glass of water while they're sitting there listening to testimony. And uh, that's just not a, it's not a good idea all the way around. And I think it hurts you in the long run. Jesse, you're in court a lot. Uh, Do you find that pretty difficult to not look at your phone? I do, especially since uh, when there isn't a trial going on, we are permitted to have our phones um, in court, the attorneys, in case we need to look at our schedule for a date or something like that. So it is kind of tough to be separated from the iPhone during trial, but it just it's better for your client. The more professional you look and the less irritated jurors are with you. So, And you know what's hilarious about that? No one thinks that the jurors know what they're doing. Like, really? You're looking down at your lap. Your hands are you're moving texting, in a circular motion. They know. Yeah, absolutely. So you're not hiding anything, especially from the judge who's sitting higher up in the courtroom and can basically see everything. Mm-hmm. And the jurors can see as well. So there's another one here that I've seen a lot of lawyers uh, use. Get to the point quickly and compliment the court. What do you mean by that? Um, what I mean by that, and I don't mean so much compliment the court, but By the time you're getting to, let's say, oral argument on a motion for summary judgment, that judge has read every word of those extensive briefs. And I like to say, here, you've got a certain time limit or whatever you want to present to the court uh, and just emphasize your very strong points and then move on. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you just regurgitating what's in the written memorandum is not helping the court at all. Uh, And I think, again, it's um, wasting time or perhaps it's grandstanding again, talking because your client's in the courtroom and it's by and large unnecessary. Although it probably depends on which court you're in front of, right? I know it's as an appellate Absolutely. practitioner, uh, some some courts will be just because of the way they decide cases more familiar with the issues in the briefing than others. So it's sometimes important to lay a narrative foundation and that kind of thing. No doubt, John. You're doing everything perfectly in the appellate courts, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but uh, thank you. Uh, no speaking objections. So lawyers have, a, I, I know they're improper, but I know a lot of trial lawyers <laughs> and I know a lot of trial lawyers use speaking objections. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, it just, uh, you know, Trials get hot and heated, as we know, and it comes down to um, speaking objections lead to discussions, which leads to arguments, which leads to bickering in front of jurors. And that's something that should really never happen. And so we like to keep a lid on objections. And if the worst case scenario, I don't think the federal court does this as much, but because of the makeup in Cook County anyway, uh, sidebars are required a little bit more frequency 
with more frequency mm-hmm. because the cases come to us, you know, that day and we're getting familiar with the case um, instantaneously. So, um, but if there's something that you feel strongly about as an attorney that perhaps the court is missing, ask for that sidebar as opposed to getting into an argument with opposing counsel. Again, the jurors are watching that and um, they're taking it home with them. So I'm going to throw a random question around the table, something that's not on this list. Pet peeves. Jane? Related to incivility. Um, pet peeves related to incivility. Back when I was practicing, um, I think it was um, lady lawyer. The phrase? The phrase lady lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it was um, meant to be demeaning. Right. And um, there was... The, uh, for example, if you come up, there's an order for how you're supposed to be presenting your motion, right? And um, and what's going on. But oftentimes, back in the day, I'll be curious to see whether this is still going on. There would be a, a forced um, over chivalry kind of thing. Well, let's let the lady lawyer speak, kind of thing, dripping with sarcasm. Yeah. So that's 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 seared into my memory from years gone by. Fortunately, I think that's gone by the wayside. Thank you. <laughs> or, progress. Or hopefully, it, I, for sure, in the courtrooms where there are lady judges. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's... I would hope that wouldn't be going on. But I, yeah. I, I don't know if it would be incivil, but I think if I heard uh, another counsel use that phrase, I'd probably smack him on the back of the head. Yeah. That may be incivil, too, depending on how hard you smack him. It would be much appreciated, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Right. That's like, not true. enough to constitute battery, but uh, chastity. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is when attorneys are over-familiar with the judge when they're up at the bench on the record, and they ask the judge, oh, well, where are you vacationing next? Where are you going to dinner tonight? How are the kids? It's just like basically having a lack of respect for a really long court call and other attorneys who are in line to get their cases called. Um, that really bugs me. Oh, it's But it's probably not a lack of respect. It's trying. It's signaling I have an in with the judge. Choosing. It really undermines mm-hmm. the whole... Um, unbiased position that we should be holding our court in. Exactly. Yeah. Which undermines having an in with the judge, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't get that kind of behavior. Uh, judge? So um, I do not like like being told that if I rule a particular way, it's going to constitute reversible error. Mm-hmm. That makes no impression on me one way or another. Uh, I think that attorneys think that that's going to help sway their position, and it really doesn't. It's a threat, right? Um, it, it kind of is. It's a veiled threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very offensive, uh, particularly to some colleagues of mine. I I don't care for it one way or another. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, the other thing is I don't like when attorneys say, um, reference another judge without saying judge. They can do it in all sorts of contexts, but they just use the last name. And I'll say, for example, who is that? Oh, you mean Judge Wright, or you mean Judge Flannery, or, you know, because they'll just talk about, you know, using the name or whatever it is. Oh, really? Yeah. First without, name or last the name? Just the last name without saying judge before it. Oh, that's just, yeah, that's just openly <laughs> disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it is, and I'm glad you agreed with me because it's really, it's not a big deal, but it resonates with me. And so I'll question them about that. And also, um, ma'am, I brought that up in my list. <laughs> so I saw that in your list, and the first thing that popped in my head was, well, what if they're Southern? That is a good point because um, a lot of Southern attorneys that are in front of me use that, and 
they're they, so they, used they to it, and, it. And they would not have any idea that that was disrespectful. Um, I just don't see the evenness of that because I don't hear um, a counterpart to that. In other words, I don't hear, hear my male colleagues being referred to as sir. Um, oh, really? So I don't want to be called I call my ma'am. father sir. So I use that all <laughs> is your the father time. an attorney? He is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know, but that's good. <laughs> I keep doing that. Dad usually works for most people. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, um, I think ma'am makes you feel old. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And um, if I thought that it's it's not particularly offensive. You asked about pet peeves, so yeah. I decided to throw it out there. That's a good one. Yeah. That's probably a good place for us to take our break. We'll be right back. This episode of At the Bar brought to you by One Legal, America's top-rated court filing solution. One Legal's simple workflows and local support make it easy to file in large and complex courts like Cook, Marion, and LA counties. Chicago bar members get up to 15% off. Learn more at onelegal.com/cba. And we're back. So we like to close every podcast episode with a game we call Stranger Than Legal Fiction. The rules are pretty simple. Chastity and I have done a little bit of research around the internet, hopefully verified our sources, (laughs) found one law that's on the books somewhere in the U.S. that is real but weird for some reason or strange or disturbing. Pick your adjective. And then we've just made another one up completely, and we're going to pull you guys and each other to see if we can distinguish strange legal fact from fiction. Everyone ready? Ready. Ready. Chastity, why don't you lead us off? Sure. Okay. In Galesburg, Illinois, there is a $1,000 fine for beating rats with baseball bats. Oh, okay. Okay. Can I check my magic phone? No phones okay. No cheating. No phoning friends. Okay, what's the second one? In Naperville, Illinois, it is illegal to walk down a public sidewalk while eating an ice cream cone. Judge, what do you think? Oh, I have to go with Naperville. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going with Why? that. I don't know. It's such a beautiful suburb. They don't want that ice cream on the sidewalk. <laughs> just so our non-Illinois audience knows, Naperville, I think a number of years ago, was voted like the best suburb sure. in America or it's something like, like that. It's like Pleasantville. Or, you That's know, exactly yeah. what I was just thinking. Yeah, yeah. Right. It yeah. is beautiful. So Pristine. Us. There's no As ice cream. As are the people. And yeah. Right. I think they all walk around with napkins. and Yeah, it's uh, yeah. salad. <laughs> it's a hellscape that I never want to go yeah. to. Well, you know, just to be provocative here, I'll, I'll take the other one. I think the people in Galesburg um, have a thing with rats. So I think that is a real law. Wait, why? Why do the people in Galesburg have a thing with rats? Um, it, they, the rats, um, is it illegal to hit the rats? Is that the, the law? With a baseball bat. With a baseball bat, Yeah. No, actually, they have a thing about bats and baseball there, and they don't want to sully their bats with the rats. So that's why I think it's a real law. And I think that there's a bad cat population down in in that part of the state. Oh, really? Yeah. So they want to keep their rats. They want to keep (laughs) their rats to make things up. I just wanted to rhyme bat with cat somehow. I think it sounded good. It does. It does. Rats, bats, and cats. They're going crazy in Galesburg. (laughs) I'm going to go with the Galesburg one, if only so Peta doesn't target me for saying anything wrong. (laughs) 
Should I reveal the answer? Please do. Okay. In Galesburg, there is a $1,000 fine for beating rats with baseball bats. But the one about the ice cream cone, it's not true for Naperville. However, I was watching the Food Network and in Carmel, California, it was illegal up until 1986 to walk down public sidewalks while eating an ice cream cone until Clint Eastwood became mayor and changed the law. All right. Stranger than fiction. That was yeah. very unprofessional of you to trick up a judge like that, Chastity. I'm just saying. My apologies. <laughs> With all due respect. All right. So option number one. In Missouri, it is illegal to sell homespun cloth in quantities exceeding the lesser of 10 yards of fabric or five pounds. That's option number one. Option number two, in Minnesota, any contest in which participants try to capture a greased or oiled pig is illegal. Jane, Mm. you had a reaction to that. What are you thinking? I think that the Minnesota law is accurate. Um, I understand there's quite a rodeo and um, and culture where uh, animals run around and you vote on them and whatnot. So I think we would want to keep them uh, greased up so they can be frictionless for their races. So therefore, they that rule is, or that law is true. Okay. Judge? I agree with uh, Jane on this one for sure. I'm going with Missouri fabric. Wait, I, I thought you, wait, 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 wait. No. You think the Missouri one's real? I do. Okay. And Jane so thinks the disagree. Minnesota oh, I disagree. ones I disagree. I apologize. Okay. Yeah. Just want to make disagree. sure everyone's in the right category <laughs> right. so we can claim the appropriate amounts of credit when one of you <laughs> is right. the prize money, of course. <laughs> right. Chastity, what do you think? I'm going with number one. I think it sounds very specific and very realistic. And number two is just ridiculous. <laughs> Which is why it's the real one. <laughs> so I'll read it to you. Section 343.36, entitled Greased Pig Contests and Turkey Scrambles. No person shall operate, run, or participate in a contest game or other like activity in which a pig greased, oiled, or otherwise, and I don't know what the Uh let's not go there, is released and wherein the object is to capture the pig or in which a chicken or turkey is released or thrown into the air and wherein the object is the capture of the chicken or turkey. Any violation of this section is a misdemeanor. Oh, had I heard the turkey part, I would have completely gone with that <laughs> yeah, one. That, that yeah, that would have revealed yeah. it. Was, right. Yeah, really good. <laughs> if any of our Minnesota listeners could shed light on exactly how bored they are up there, I think that would be helpful. Because what there's got to be a story behind that, right? I made Jane, one up. maybe one of your rodeo That's a things. Reactionary <laughs> law for sure. Yeah. Well, I just thought I knew I th- I figured that uh, Me Too would be coming up today, and I thought some kind of reference to greased pigs would be appropriate to tie in. Oh, interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's going to be our episode for today. Remember, you can download us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever the finest podcasts are given away for free. Please also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media platforms at CBA at the Bar. I want to thank our executive producer. Jen Byrne, our sound crew, Ricardo Islas and Steve Weirich, and my new co-host, Chastity Burns, who did a great job on her first time out. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon at the bar. <laughs>